Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. As we watch that video, and I love that, I just want to ask you, if you will, uh, be praying for the nation of Nicaragua. It's one of the places we are in partnership with, and a lot of bad things that are taking place there right now, just uh, from a uh, perspective of political climate and some things that are taking place. And so if you're not aware of what's happening there, uh, check into that. But if you would, just be praying for that nation. We have a, a lot of people there that we know and love and, and support in ministry, and so if you would, just uh, be praying for them. Uh, and as you're worshiping with us today, and what a great job we've already had a chance to worship God, but we love the Word of God and the truth of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and let's celebrate that together. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, and uh, we're going to just look at the first four verses here together as we begin. Hebrews 1, 1 says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And so if you would just uh, join me and let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we're grateful for a chance to meet here together today to worship you, to celebrate you. And Father, now as we turn our attention toward your word, we just ask that you'll instruct us, teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll guide us to understand truth. I pray, Father, that you will uh, guard and guide my tongue today to speak truth about you. And, and Father, I pray for our hearts to hear your message and to respond to it in a way that would bring honor and glory to your name. And so we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes today and want to write some things down or you're following along on our YouVersion Bible app, you can do that. And the first thing that I just would say as we kind of launch into this message today is that God is using all history to bring glory to his name. God is using all of history to bring glory to his name. From eternity past, God's name has been glorified. Uh, when God created the earth and, and uh, put humanity on this earth, uh, his name is glorified. And for all of eternity to come, his name will be glorified. God is using all of history to bring glory to his name. 
And so what that means for us then is that we are to be people who will represent God in this world to help understand his name and his renown being exalted in the earth. And so when we look at this passage from Hebrews chapter 1, we kind of see how he lays this out. And the writer of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to us through his prophets and many times in various ways. Right? And so there's these things that God has done in the past. He's been working throughout the past to bring glory and honor to his name. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. That he has sent Jesus to this earth to be his representative to show us truly who he is. Now, in theological terms, we call this a progressive revelation of God. That God has been unfolding himself and knowledge about him to the world over time. That he didn't just rip back the curtain and go, here I am, know everything about me. But he has revealed himself progressively over time to show us. Now, in the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, God literally came and walked with them in the cool of the day. There was no separation between them and God whatsoever. But because of sin, when Adam and Eve sinned and fell, there became this separation between us. But God had a plan at that very moment And in fact, the plan had been established way before he ever created the earth. But God's plan was that even with sin entering into the picture, I still want to know and have relationship with people that I've created. And so God has been working and revealing himself over time so that we can know him, follow him, and love him. It started again with Adam and Eve in the garden, but then after that, after creation was broken and after the fall of of man, God chose a representative that he entered into a covenant relationship with. And he said, Abram, I want to enter into this relationship with you. I want to call you to be my representative to the world. And Abram, here's what I'm going to do in this covenant relationship. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And then through you, Abram, all the world is going to be blessed. The entire world is going to experience a blessing because of this covenant that I enter into with you. And so Abraham receives this blessing, this covenant of God. But then beyond that, after Abraham, from Abraham, he has a family. And out of this family, God births a nation, the nation of Israel. And then from the nation, God starts to uh, include more things about himself that he's revealing to himself. That he's going, within this nation, I want to uh, teach and introduce worship. What does worship of me look like? And so as he has the nation of Israel, they start to establish worship. Here's what God uh, looks at for us to, to know him, to be in a relationship with him, to worship him. And then he goes, then I'm going to give you a law to follow so that you can be in right relationship with me, so that you obey me, that you walk with me in the ways that honor me, that glorify me. And then beyond that, he says, and I want to just have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I'm going to be among you. So from this nation, then a kingdom is developed. And God says, while Jesus is king, and he, God is king of the nation of Israel, but he said the nation kept asking for a king, so he goes, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you a king. So we've got Saul, and we've got David, and we've got Solomon, and this kingdom mentality is introduced. And God even says, through this kingdom, I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. That this is a, a glimpse on earth of what the heavenly kingdom, the eternal kingdom, should be about and should be like. So he continues to introduce himself. And then beyond the kingdom, he has prophets who would come in and reveal more about who he was to the people. And so the prophets would say, this is what God's like. This is what God expects. This is what God is judging you for. This is what's going to happen if you don't follow God. And they would have a prophetic voice about the future. Here's what God's going to do. And they continue to reveal God because God's great name has been glorified through all the history of the world. 
and from eternity to eternity. But in all of that, when we see this unveiling of God and who he is, it's still a broken understanding because of sin, because of the damaging effects of sin. So all of these things that he's revealed himself in fail to bring us real hope and understanding because of what sin has done to devastate our world. And so what God has intended in and through all of these things is to give us a taste of God. But ultimately, when we look at it, we go, but that taste, it just leaves us longing for something more. It leaves us longing for a hope and expectation of actually being with him, of knowing him, of not just being a part of his people, but being in his kingdom, of not just being in his kingdom, but his kingdom coming to earth so he can be with us and that we can be with him face to face again like it was in the garden at the beginning Paul wrote in the New Testament and said, even though now we see God dimly as in a mirror, then we'll see him face to face. And so we're waiting for that day. We're longing for that time to come when Jesus will come back and introduce his Father again to us. And so God's been working throughout the history of the world to make his glory known to the world because everything is so severely broken. We get to this idea and he goes, all of those things, that was in the past. God spoke to us in various forms and in many ways. But in these last days... God has sent his son. He says, this is the final revelation of who God is. That God sent Jesus to the earth to go, this is what God is like. Let me live out God in front of you. And so Jesus' disciples one time even said, hey, Jesus, would you show us the Father? We believe you're from God. Would you show us the Father? And Jesus goes, wait a minute, what do you mean show you the Father? Don't you know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And to know me is to know the Father. And so Jesus said, I'm literally the direct representation of God in this earth. Which takes us back to the passage in Hebrews where he says the Son is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so when Jesus came onto the scene, John describes it in John uh, chapter 1, verse 14. John said, the word, Jesus, became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. So we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace, truth. So, so when we see Jesus, he has come and he has lived among us. He's dwelt among us, that Hebrew word for dwelling, he's made his dwelling among us. It's literally tabernacle. He's come and he's tabernacled among us. That takes us back in imagery to the Old Testament where they had the literal tabernacle, a building that they could take up and set up and tear down and take with them as they traveled. And they would set it up like a tent of meeting. And it was where God's presence would reside among the camp as Israel was moving through the desert for the 40 years, as they were moving into the promised land. The tabernacle was how they knew God and his presence with them and said, so when John writes and says he made his dwelling among us, it brings back the imagery of God being right there. He tabernacled with us. And I love how the message says this. It says in verse 14, the word became flesh and blood and it moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that great? That he just moved into the neighborhood. And listen, that's what we're supposed to be like in our faith. Because with Christ being in us, and when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he said, I'm going to send the Comforter to live with you. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. And so in the same way that it says Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, guess what happens when we move into the neighborhood? We bring Jesus with us. 
to wherever it is that we live. Whether it's in a community here in Kingsport or if you move somewhere across the state or if you're going to be like our friends who are going to be going to Spain. And saying, we're going to take that and we're going to move into the neighborhood and Jesus is coming too. He's going to come and he's going to dwell here. And we're going to make him known here. We're going to make sure that the world around us knows who Jesus is. He's come to live in relationship with us. Jesus came to live in that relationship with us to reveal who God is. And so Jesus is God in human flesh. He came to the world to make a relationship with his Father possible. All of this is built on relationship, right? That we look at this and go, man, if it's about knowing God. And so that relationship aspect in the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Right? What's our purpose? What's our chief end? What are we supposed to accomplish in this world? And it answers the question, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's to bring glory to his name, the name that he has been glorifying from all eternity past to the current age to all eternity future, that his name will bring, be glorified. And our chief end, our purpose is to bring glory to his name and to, to be in that relationship with him, to, to know him and to enjoy him. That's why world missions is so important. This is why we talk about going to the nations, being bold with our faith. There's a world out there that does not know God and therefore cannot enjoy him in relationship the way that we know him and enjoy him. And so when we hear the testimony up here of going, we're going to the nation of Spain where only 1.3% has any gospel presence. That's common in the world. The United States is the anomaly, right? There's churches on every corner. There are 800 in Kingsport. Hello? But when you go to the rest of the world and you go, hey, you know what? There are billions of people, billions, who not only don't have a church to attend, they've never heard the name Jesus. And so we have a responsibility to go, to be sent out to the nations, to carry the hope of the gospel of Jesus with us. And so that's why God wants to know us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants all of the world to be in relationship with him. And so the Bible begins and it ends with God. I don't know if you've ever read it from beginning to end or not. Maybe you skipped some parts. If you just read the beginning and just read the end, you know this, right? It begins with God. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. He's there at the very beginning. The Bible doesn't try to explain where God came from, how it all came to be. God didn't come from anywhere. God is eternal. He has always existed. But in the beginning of human time, he created the heavens and the earth. God just is there. In the beginning, God is there. And at the end, do you know what the last passage in Revelation says? It's Jesus talking. Revelation chapter 22, and he says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. So come, Lord Jesus. So in the beginning, God is there. He institutes relationship. He begins creation. And at the end, Jesus says, I'm coming back because I want you to be with me. I'm going to take my people to be with me forever. And I am coming soon. It's happening. It's, I'm coming for you. Now, if Jesus is the beginning and the end, wouldn't you like to know like, what's right in the middle? Like I was curious about that this week. Going, what? Okay, God's at the beginning. God's at the end. What's like dead center? Have you ever thought about that? 
You ever looked it up? You ever just kind of been like, man, what, what is it, the dead center? You're like, I don't know, man. You should tell me. You're the one on the stage right now that's already asked the question this week. So what is it? And so here's what it is. In Psalm chapter 117, there are 594 chapters before Psalm 117, and there are 594 chapters after Psalm 117 that begins with God and ends with God. And the dead center of our scriptures says this, Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And how cool is that? That you're going, God is at the beginning, and God is at the end, and his desire, all in between, everything else in the middle of those passages, Genesis 1 and Revelation 22, everything in between is God saying, I want my creation to know me. I'm revealing myself. I want to be known. I want you to be able to glory in my name. I'm making myself known. And so in the dead center, he goes, extol the Lord, all nations. This isn't an Israel thing. This isn't a United States of America thing that we have this knowledge of the God of the universe. This is a global thing. And so he says, I want the world to know me. I want the whole nations to be wrapped up in my love. I want them to extol me, to praise me. Because there's nothing higher that we can do than to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So his heart in the middle of his word is the nations of the world. So how can we not go to these billions of unreached and tell them about the glory of God? So let's change gears just for a little bit. Let me ask a question. Where are my task-oriented people in the room? Any task-oriented people? It's about the same response we got in the first service. It was like, task-oriented right here. And so we got our task-oriented people. I love task-oriented people. You guys are incredible. Uh, You've got your lists, and life is good as long as the list is being done, right? And so you've got your things and you're like, today I have this many things to get done and I'm going to check them off and I'm going to get my list done and it's going to be awesome. And some of you even add things to your list that you did that weren't on the list, but you did it and so you write it down. You're like, I did that. I just want a record of doing that. Hey, all right, good. All right, one, at least one person is like, I can identify. And so you are writing things down. And so, man, you got to love task-oriented people. My wife is a task-oriented person. She's got her list. It's not always written down, but it's in her head. She knows day to day, I'm, today, I've got to get this done. And my wife can't sleep at night until her list is done. I asked her permission to share this. It's going to be okay. Uh, and so... <laughs> She's a list, task-oriented person. I've got a certain amount of time today to get these things done, and it's not going to go well if I don't get these things checked off the list. I've got to get it done, right? And so task-oriented. Now, for her, one of the things that she's most task-oriented about, and I appreciate this, is that if it comes to a purchase that we have, she is going to find the best possible price in the universe, whatever it is, to look. And so she might spend four hours researching on the internet something that's going to save us seven dollars and I'm going to be like I would have just spent the seven bucks I mean really it's not that big of a deal and she's like no you would not you would have bought hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of things that we didn't need it's like probably you're right and so um but you know task-oriented people listen here's the deal task-oriented people you really rule the world. You make things go. You just give the headlines to the, to the lead people, right? Like you're, okay, those people are got their name out there, but it's the task-oriented people that make the world work and make the world spin. Now, second group, uh, who are the relational people in the room? Yeah, 
you guys are not nearly as energetic as I thought you might be. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, I, listen, you're my people. I am a relationship person, and I'm like, you know, you just got up this morning and felt the energy of this place, and you were just drawn here, weren't you? You're just like, there's going to be people, and we should go. And I don't even know how I got here. My car just found its way right to this place, and there's people. And let's just hang out with people. This is going to be amazing with people. And so you have no clue what you're going to do the rest of the day, but it's probably going to involve people. You're going to be like, I don't have a lunch plan, but let's go with people. And so let's find some people. And right after church, you're going to be going and being like, do you want to go to lunch? Do you guys want to go hang out? You can't? Okay, I'll find somebody else. And so we're going to go find somebody because I can't eat lunch alone. This is my son, my oldest son. The first question, you guys should follow me after church. When he comes walking up to me, he's going to go, Dad, Dad, do we have lunch plans? Who are we going to lunch with? Every single Sunday, that's the question. It's like, I just want to hang out with people. I think that's the one thing he's like me in about in life. It's like, he's just like, Sunday, church, lunch, let's do it, people, right? And so that's going to be our thing. Now, why in the world am I asking you about this? Because some of you actually missed a category. Some of you are hybrids of this. Any hybrids? You're task-oriented, but you're very relational. Uh-huh. A few of you, you're like, look, I just want to fill you guys in on something. You're well-balanced, and you're awesome, and nobody in this room likes you. Um, <laughs> it's like all of life is good, and you're just, you got your tasks, you got your relationships, you're well-balanced. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that literally... If I was going on an international mission trip, if I was going to come visit you guys in Spain the night before, I would probably start going, is my passport current? I don't know if, was there any medicines I was supposed to be taking before I go on this trip? Like that's just, and my wife is like six months out going, have you checked your passport? And you should probably go to the doctor and get some medication. And like, we need each other, right? We need each other. Now, why in the world are we talking about task-oriented relational? Because when Jesus left the earth, and when Jesus went back to heaven, he left us with a mission. He left us with a purpose. And so in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, the Bible says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, some people see that and go, task. Jesus told us to go. We got to go. And that's part of it, right? We've got to go and it's a task and we've got to get it done. Why? Why is it so important to get it done? And it's important. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. He said, before the end can come, the gospel has to go to all the nations. And then after the world has heard, then the end will come, I'll return. And so some of us have this idea of going, well, Jesus can't come back until we've done our job. We've got to get the task done so that Jesus can come back. And we're keeping Jesus from coming back because we're not out there doing our job, task-driven stuff. And we got to go. And that's part of it. He says, go. It's a task. But he says, you've got to go relationally. Go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Now, I don't know about you. I've never made a disciple outside of relationship. Jesus never made a disciple outside of relationship. You may be super awesome, probably one of those balanced people, and you can just do it in your sleep, but it takes relationship. It's a task. Go and make disciples. Jesus left us with a relational task. So we are called to be bold in our going as we build relationships with people, as we get to know people, and as we introduce them to the saving power that's found in Jesus and the hope that's found 
in Him. And so when missions are involved, we have to know God in order to make Him known. And so we think about it this way, that going is the result of knowing. Going is the result of knowing. When I know Him, and when I'm in love with Him, I'm going to have every intention in my life to be about making Him known. I want my coworkers to know Christ, which is pretty easy here. I work at a church. <laughs> I want my neighbors to know Christ. I want our community to know Christ. I want people on the other side of the world to know Christ. Why? Because going is always informed by knowing. When we know and love Jesus, we're not going to stay at home and keep it to ourselves. We're going to go make him known. And so I want to look at one last passage of Scripture together this morning as we start to close. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 11, go through 21. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. In other words, if you look at us and go, those guys are crazy, all that is because of our love for God, our passion for God, our zeal for God. We look crazy to the outside world. But if we're in our right minds, well, that's for you. We don't want to be too crazy because we want you to know that the gospel is bound in reality, it's bound in truth, it's bound in hope. And so he goes, if we're out of our mind, that's for God. If we're in our mind, it's for you. We want you to know Christ. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in this passage, I want you to look at what Paul says drives our commitment to missions. The first thing is this, that we know what it is to fear the Lord. He says, what drives our commitment to missions, to going to the, to the nations? What is it that drives that? He goes, we know what it is to fear the Lord because going is always catalyst from knowing. So because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we're going to do something about it. Now that fear is not an, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of God. It's a reverence for Him. It's an awe for who He is, that He is great, that He is majestic, that He is holy. He's righteous. That He is set apart and distinguished from us in ways we can't even imagine. So we fear Him. We hold Him in awe. And so Paul says, because we know Him, and we know how to worship Him. We've developed a passion for Him. We've got to do something about it. So what is it that we do about knowing Him? He says the next thing. So we try to persuade others. 
because we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. It's kind of lost in our culture. And I don't know exactly what it's like in other places in the world, but here in the United States, we've become such a place of, of just relativism. Everything's relative. Your truth is your truth. You can believe whatever you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And we should all just get along and be fine with that. We should get along, but everybody's not right. And he goes, so we try to persuade others. Well, we live in a culture where we've stopped trying to persuade others because we've bought into a lie that says, well, as long as you believe, you believe that's probably fine for you and maybe you'll get there. Because that's not how it works. We try to persuade other people to see what we know to be true, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the one way to heaven and salvation. So we work diligently to be in conversations with people, to take the gospel to people, to say, we, we want to try to persuade you so that you'll see what we know. Because we know, we try to persuade Others. None of that is found anywhere more fully, I think, in Scripture and demonstrated better than in Acts chapter 17. Paul goes to Athens on one of his missionary journeys, and when he gets there, he looks around, and there are statues and busts of idols all over the place. And the Athenians are very religious people, right? And he goes into this culture, and it starts to grieve his heart because of all the idolatry that he sees around him. He even goes to one place where there's just kind of a, an empty slot. There's no bust. There. There's no statue there. There's just an empty slot. And underneath it's inscribed, to the unknown God. Like the Athenians are so religious and desire to make all the gods so happy that just in case they left one out, they have a place to the unknown God. Let's worship that one too, just in case. We don't want to make any gods mad, so let's just worship them all. And Paul comes in and goes, hey, that unknown God, I know him. And I want to make him known to you. I want to try to persuade you to know him. And so he goes, I, I want to tell you about him. So Paul lays out the gospel to the people of Athens. And, and then at the end, when he presents the gospel, he talks about Jesus being raised back from death to life. And in that moment, the Bible says that as he talked about the resurrection, there were three responses. There was one group of people that sneered at him. And just totally rejected it. Paul, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. Nobody comes back from the dead. That's ridiculous. I don't know what you think you believe. I don't know if you've had something nice to smoke this morning. I don't know what's been going on, Paul. But you're crazy. And they just walk away. Then there's a second group of people, though, that as Paul talks, they go, okay, man, um, man that's interesting. <laughs> a dead guy that you say is God's son came back to life. Paul, you know, I'm, I'm not nearly convinced about that but I'd be willing to listen to you more on that subject. Will you come back and talk to me again? And they're open. And then the third group of people in Acts 17, it says that when Paul presented the truth, that there were those who immediately believed it, and they started following Paul. And listen, church, that's the same three responses that come in our lives when we share the gospel today. Nothing's changed from 2,000 years. We share the truth of a God who became man who died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And after three days in that borrowed tomb we sang about, that the Spirit of God brought him back to life. And today he rules and he reigns at the right hand of God the Father. And one day he's going to come back for us. And we believe that. And there are going to be people who, when you talk about that and you go, this is what I believe, there are going to be some people that go, you are crazy. 
like you're a lunatic to believe that. And some people are just going to walk away from you. And there's going to be other people who are going to go, you know what, I think that's a little bit weird, but I, you know, I would at least be willing to meet with you at lunch again and talk more about that. Can we grab lunch again sometime and you can just continue to share with me? And then there's others that as we share our faith, some people are just going to go, that's it, that's what I've been waiting for. I've been looking for purpose in my life. I've been looking to know that my life has meaning and reason and value. And what you're describing is what I needed to know. And I'll trust in that Jesus that you're talking about. So we've got a responsibility to take this message of the truth of the gospel to the world. Because the last thing Paul tells us back in chapter 2, or back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, about knowing God and then going to the nations as a result is this. He says, the reason we do that is because Christ's love compels us. We're compelled by Christ's love. It's not out of obligation. It's not out of some dutiful checklist. I've got to go on a mission trip before I die so that I'll get to heaven and have a better seat. I don't know what, that's crazy. It's going, I, I go because Jesus changed my heart. His love compels me to talk with my coworkers about Christ to talk with my fellow students about Christ, to share with my family members about Christ, to talk in my neighborhood about Jesus. I'm compelled because I love him so much and because I've been loved by him so well. And so we're compelled to do it. And so the question for us this morning that we just kind of need to ask is, are you convinced? I mean, are you convinced that God's love is for you so deeply that it has sparked in you a desire to share that love with other people around you. You just go, I'm I'm just compelled. I have to talk about it when we sit down at the lunch table. (laughs) I'm compelled to. I have to to talk about it when when we're on vacation, just hanging out with some other families. I've got to talk about it. I'm compelled to. When When I get a chance to go on a mission trip to Kentucky, to Nicaragua, to Spain, I'm compelled to talk about Jesus. I love him. He's changed me. Listen, church, this is our chance in history to know him and to make him known. God has been bringing glory to himself from eternity past to eternity future. And we get one small window of opportunity in this world to be bold, to share the gospel of Jesus with others. This is our moment. This is what God has created us for. In knowing Him, we are designed to make Him known. So let's make Jesus known. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.